All right. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to M2 on Education, Episode 2. That's a lot of twos today for a Sunday morning, but um, we are so excited to come to you uh, this morning with a conversation about many things, um, but in particular, a focus on Daniel Kahneman's book, Thinking Fast and Slow. Wonderful job of holding that up. Mine's a Kindle edition. I love my... I love my Kindle, but it's terrible for some of the, you know, the normal things that you could do with a book, like flip through the pages or show I know, cover. take notes, dear, all, dog, <sighs> your book covers. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I live with first world issues left and right. I mean, it is a rough life that I lead. Um, so, uh, but I'll get through. Don't you worry, uh, you listeners who we hope we have, you know, doubled after the success of our first episode. Uh, I know at least our family members were excited to, to hear us. In they enjoyed podcast. it. I'll, I'll tell you, I got good feedback. I did. Yeah, they did too. And it was fun. So, um, so, and I, and we just a, uh, you know, I thought I thought you know I, I try to be a little more professional for professionally related things, and 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 then I thought you know what I am still riding high. You might ask yourself, stuff, why am I riding high? Melissa, are you wondering why I, I'm riding? I'm high? wondering why you're riding high, Mike. Well, why am I not riding high? But today, the reason that I am riding high <laughs> is I am a lifelong Phoenix Suns fan. So those of you who are basketball people, grew up in Phoenix, uh, love the Suns, always loved the Suns, and uh, they won again last night. Only the second greatest. Uh, record in the NBA right now. And, uh, you know, I just couldn't bring myself to bring, you know, take my Valley shirt off. Uh, it's just, you know, Valley pride, right? Are you laughing <laughs> well, with I, me, at me or about I, me? I, or? I'm sure it's with you. I'm sure it's with you. It really is. It really is. I, I Although I do have to say I prefer college basketball and I'm a big Wildcats fan living here in Tucson, U of A, all the way. So. And that's our show for this Sunday. Um <laughs> For those of you who don't know, I live up the road uh, in in uh, the Phoenix area, and uh, you know this is ASU country, so you know I have bit. to yeah. I got to be careful of of, of uh, my associations. But I have a feeling I might get away with this one because you're so highly regarded, in spite of your choice of. <laughs> oh, thank you. I really yeah. appreciate. That. <laughs> yeah. Well, for those of you who are longtime listeners. <clears throat> one episode, you know that our uh, commitment to you is to try to put the bulk of the information and the stuff we have to share with you into uh, about half of the average drive time. And as we've um, uh, as we've talked about, the average drive time is 26 minutes. Although after driving to work this week, I'm not sure that hasn't increased significantly. I think it's picking back up. I'll tell yeah. you, a lot more people on the road right now. I'll tell you. So it is. Uh, so we try to get it, you know, the bulk of it done in far less than that. That way you can plug in when you get in your car or Bluetooth it or however you do it and uh, listen to the show, get a few things, get a few items, maybe spark some some thinking or some uh, some something you might want to look into uh, after you get to where you're going. And uh, that's what we hope to do. So it's M2 on ed- education. But I was thinking to myself, uh, Melissa, that I'm not even sure our title is exactly right, because it feels like it's M2 on education and anything else right this is but, true yeah we whatever's don't interesting we don't write we don't want to pigeonhole the show it's anything that we think you might enjoy want to learn more about we find interesting think you might find it interesting nobody so, puts baby yeah nobody puts baby in a corner yeah 
that's just not going to happen around here. So, and isn't that the crux of education, right? The idea is what do we want from our our kiddos, from our students, uh, whether they're pre-K to college, yeah, you name it, university, post-grad, is we want lifelong learners. So I always find it uh, a little bit uh, ironic that we talk to our, our learners about, uh, you know, being these kind of these uh, uh, well-versed in a lot of different things and be curious and that sort of thing. And then we go back and promptly do nothing but read education books. So, <laughs> which is, which, so I think it's really great. Melissa, we're modeling, we're, we're givers. We're modeling to the education community that you should make sure you reach out and read some other stuff too. Uh, because most of the work that ends up in education books about teaching learners started in other fields. It started this in psychology, cool. started in economics, started in you name it. So, um, so if you want to be ahead of the curve stick with us for future episodes and we're starting right here today with um some things as we get into daniel kahneman's book but before we get into to, to this book which i think you and i both really loved um is uh we have our happenings and listener input and uh this is where i said we were gonna start doing sound effects uh, we're not there yet i'm just excited <laughs> i got this i got this headset which is it my looks next... very professional it doesn't it it's like it does. until you listen to me talk and then there goes that but um uh, eventually i'm gonna have like egg create stuff around me to absorb sound go. and everything but uh the big but, mic sitting in front of you that's right yeah yeah right now i'm just the mic sitting in behind the mic uh, never mind all right so we have three hey, things each there. that <laughs> that uh, melissa and i like to share with you that are on our mind random thoughts or just general happening so uh, melissa what do you got on your mind this week okay so the first thing is i learned about something called the Gennard method. Hmm. And so for those of you that are having to do public speaking of any kind, and that kind of makes you nervous, or you're thinking about having to give a speech, it, that makes you nervous. Um, one of the things that I learned about this method, it's specifically to slow down your body by impacting the vagus nerve. And it's a breathing pattern. And uh, it's the 4462 method. And what it's intentionally designed to do is to slow down your nervous system so that you can concentrate, get out there, and do your best speech in front of other people. So I highly recommend checking it out. I've also heard of the box method. Um, this is very similar. So that's, that's my first one. That's a great one too. And it actually links to our book ac accidentally, I think. And the idea of uh, something that's automated in your in your body of physiology, the breathing right. piece, but you can uh, consciously take control of that and, and affect your physiology, which is always a good thing. So so when my mother used to say, you're getting on my last nerve, what was the name of that nerve that you're calling? <laughs> the vagus nerve. The vagus. I wonder if it was her vagus, vagus nerve. I thought, <laughs> I thought it was, that's where she wanted to, to get in the car and drive off the vagus. <laughs> It could have uh, been. That <laughs> Maybe that's, I don't know. Maybe that's that, got something to do with it too. Not that kind of uh, nerve. All right. Well, uh, I did get a real listener question. We kind of joked about. Um, you did. Uh, I did. I did. And it was, uh, we joked about having listeners so that we could get listener questions. And, <laughs> um, and I actually got two. One was from the aforementioned mother who said, why don't you call more? But I'm like, that, that doesn't count as a listener question about Does content. Does it? It really no, doesn't. Well, no. Okay. It really doesn't. But but yeah. she knew that I was looking for questions about this and figured she'd slip well, that one in, which is, which is a really legitimate question. And uh, I will count that as one um, if you're listening, Mom. Uh, but real listener question was last week we talked about from our, from our book from last week, the idea of assigning a devil's advocate uh, to yeah. your uh, meetings. So if you're having a meeting 
or you're a participant in a meeting, uh, trying the strategy of assigning someone uh, to be the devil's advocate when you're making a decision. And th this concept is rooted in the idea that, and again, kind of links to today's content in the book, um, that you know we have to be careful uh, that we're, we see what we want to see in certain circumstances. Mm. And one check against that is to have someone that always thinks to themselves, all right, what would be a counter to that? What would be a counter to that? So let me play devil's advocate. Um, it's a great strategy, but could it get tiresome? And the answer is absolutely. If if you're every single thing you're talking about in a meeting, if you got 10 items and you have to do devil's advocate 10 times, that's going to get old in a hurry. Uh, okay. However, if you are making critical decisions, that's when a devil's advocate role would come into play. So I would use it sparingly um, and to get the most out of it. So short answer, yes, it can get old, um, but it is an incredibly valuable uh, strategy. And if you miss devil's advocate and how to do that, you can go back and check out our last episodes. So what's, what else is on your mind? So uh, for those teachers that are looking for a way to connect with art history, uh, the Louvre has just put up their entire collection online. So you can go to visit the 4,000, no, 48, 480,000, there's a lot, uh, exhibits that they have. And it's an interactive thing. So you can get notes on them. You can see where they are actually located on the map in the Louvre. Uh, and there's also children's programming attached to those things. And it's all free. So if you go to the Louvre's website, you'll be able to uh, click into the actual exhibits and see what they have on hand. It's a really, really cool site. Highly recommended if you like art. Sounds like the hardest part of that would be figuring out how to spell Louvre in your in your um, <laughs> in your uh, uh, just in ask your Siri. That's right. That's true. That's a good point. Um, of course, my history with with uh, assistance, digital assistance is they would think I said louver, like the thing you used to put on the back of your 1983 Trans Am. Remember the louvers? Oh, anyway. my goodness. Yeah. yeah. So taking us back there. huh? Uh, so my next thing that I'm thinking about, and this is just something that I've been thinking about a lot. And, and I know we like to have fun on the podcast, but I think um, there's some seriousness mixed in. And one of the things that you've probably heard a lot talked about recently in the world of education and actually just in the world is this idea that uh, the panacea for all that ails us right now um, in society and in politics is, um, is civics instruction. And uh, and I think that, uh, you know, when everyone, no matter what's, you know, what someone's political persuasion is, uh, it's a it seems to be pretty one of the few things that's agreed upon is there are some challenges happening right mm -hmm. now and that we that there's a lot of division going on. And um, and I think we do agree, uh, ironically, that there's that there is division. Um, however, uh, you know, I'm very apprehensive about the idea that civics instruction would solve those issues. And I think that um, right. I would I would hazard a guess that that um, and especially if you read the book that we're going to talk about today, I think people would understand even better why it might be a a bit of a, a false uh, solution to think, well, we need to embed civics education. And that's the only thing standing between some of the things we're seeing in politics and society is not knowing how many Supreme Court justices are on the Supreme Court. Um, and so the, I think it will boil down to what is the definition of civics instruction, um, but also just knowing that figuring out how to do civics instruction in school, maybe in, in a more expanded way, would fall prey to the exact same division. Um, that we're already seeing. And so uh, I think it's Such likely, point. yeah, it is an example of something that is symptomatic of a deeper issue 
um, and some deeper challenges. And again, I think this is where today's book, um, this is a good starting point for people to help to understand just why just layering on more civics instruction. And don't get me wrong, I'm not anti-civics instruction, um, but I do believe that it needs to come in a, in a more kind of fertile planting field than just throw in some civics instruction. Yeah, so good points that you're yeah. making, Mike. Yeah, thank you. All right. Well, speaking of uh, good points, you know, okay, how's this for a bad transition? The pyramids. Oh, no, no. I got one more. I, got I know. One more. I know. No, I'm, I'm throwing it back to you because I know what your I'm... one more is. The pyramids have a point. Just like a good point. Get it? A good point. <laughs> so I think you have something it's good. related it's good. to it's the pyramids. Good. <laughs> so your What'd point you is well made. Well done. Okay, there you go. Um, I was reading across this article from the BBC and some interesting history. I had a thing with history this last week, I guess. Um, the ancient Egyptian pharaohs, uh, there were 18 kings and four queens that were moved from the Valley of the Kings, where they were originally uh, put on uh, display for people to come and see them, um, were moved a total of three miles to a new museum in Cairo. This it was probably about three weeks ago now. Um, and they created these very technologically savvy cars that had any kind of these hydraulic systems. So they weren't bouncing these, uh, these, um, things around as they were moving them. Three miles took them along like many hours, uh, but like Ramses II, Queen Hapshetsut, they put them in, in chronological order when they were coming up through the, the streets of Cairo. Anyway, it's a pretty amazing thing. So um, if you are a, a lover of Egyptian history, this might be something that you'd like to check out and it's on the BBC. They actually have video of them moving the, the uh, new exhibits to the new museum. So just thought that was kind of cool how, you know, ancient Egyptian history meets modern technology in a parade. And what a wonderful, I, I can think of a lot of things you could do with that in class. You could do, mm -hmm. obviously do the, so the history piece of it, but you could also do an engineering design challenge, a, a vehicle that would uh, provide the maximum amount of, of uh, you know, resistance to bouncing. I mean, you could oh, go yeah. all kinds of places with that. So that's a good one. And yeah, it was the, the, the Louvre actually, if I'm not mistaken, has the second largest Egyptian collection in the world behind uh, the the uh, museum in Cairo. If, I, if I'm not mistaken, I had the good fortune of visiting right. that, and it was an amazing, oh, amazing cool. space. So, all right, well, let's get to our book, shall we? Okay. Um, now we're transitioning to the book. This is the non-pointy. Right. Yes, we're going to go to the book now, and this is a book uh, called Thinking Fast and Slow. Oh, move it for forward, backwards, no, backwards, backwards, keep, wait, no, no, yeah, perfect, there it is. perfect, that's awesome, so if you're listening to this podcast <laughs> on one of the podcast uh, items, you won't know what I was screaming about, but, you know, we've used this little blur background uh, in our in our video space here, and if you hold something up and Blurs you don't get everything. it, yeah, I just, I need to just move my head back a little bit, and I take care of any concerns about how I look, and no, it doesn't seem to work, um, <laughs> but anyway, so this book by Daniel Kahneman, and what's really interesting is Daniel Kahneman, and we won't go into do a great deal of, of detail, uh, but I encourage you to look him up. Uh, he is one of the most influential people in, in the fields of psychology and economics and, and actually a broad spectrum of topics. Mm -hmm. And um, But he is a psychologist, but he won the Nobel Prize for economics. Yes which is a really kind of, it's not the most normal thing to have happen. It's quite an accomplishment. And it stems from his work 
um, in the field of how does how we think, how is it, how's the way that we uh, go about making our decisions? How does that influence our behaviors? And what can we predict about human behavior based on the understanding of, of uh, errors in judgment? And as many people, especially some people in, in academic testing arenas like to talk about to increase success, decrease failure, right? So, um, so taking that strategy into the, into the uh, monitoring of yourself and the way you're thinking um, and also recognizing that these systems are at play in everyone. Um, one of the, the mistakes that, that are made by many, um, myself included, because everyone does it because we're human, is um, we, we might read about this sort of thing and go, oh, wow, those other people make those mistakes. Isn't that interesting? Mm-hmm. Uh, but, but we do, too. We're just as vulnerable to them. And the only way to mitigate those or, or be aware of them uh, and lessen the odds that we're making a, an error in judgment um, is, is by being aware being consciously aware. Yep. So, uh, so this book is fascinating and it, and it talks about this idea of, you know, what drives our decision-making, what is the role of bias uh, and how do we use knowledge? And, and the term bias is used in this instance, um, not in the way that you, you may have heard it used um, uh, it, it, typically, but it, it's the same concept, but it's the, the, the idea that um, our mental frameworks uh, give us a predisposition to making certain types of decisions. Uh, and so in all contexts. Mm-hmm. So um, so it's a really interesting book. And the, 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 I'm just going to summarize by saying that um, the thinking fast and slow part alludes to this idea that we have um, system one and system two mental processes. And system one is typically what you might think of as intuition. Um, that quick response, uh, automated, automated is probably the most commonly used term, um, those things that be, can become automated, um, whereas system two tends to be the things that are more, that, that it, where you have to apply mental models and logic and reason. Focus. Yeah. And deeper. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. And so um, I think there's some great examples, but I stumbled on an example myself the other night because um, I've been in like a, let's see, I've been in a 50 year midlife crisis. It continues. Um, and so I'm learning, yeah, I've been learning guitar and I'm also practicing trying to learn how to, to sing because why not? Right. And, um, so I can do those two things in isolation, uh, with (laughs) varied levels of success. Uh, but if I get ahead of myself and try to do them at the same time, it is a train wreck. I suddenly can't play guitar, nor can I sing. Um, (laughs) and it's really interesting because what's happening there is exactly what Kahneman talks about in his book. And it's the idea that I am not an expert in guitar playing nor singing. Um, and so I have yet to be able to commit either of those things to put it into system one, automate it. I can't automate those things yet. I am still thinking my way through every note, every chord change, every, you know, loosen or tighten the larynx, every little thing. And the brain is not really capable of managing multiple system two process things at the same time. And so that's why experts um, develop what might be referred to as intuition on certain things if they have enough experience in something because they have thousands of hours of practice to where it's not magic. I know if you watch, uh, if you're a fan of 
of some shows. I mean, even right up to good old Oprah Winfrey when they would, you know, have guests on the wrote books about the magic of intuition. Well, Kahneman would would argue that it, there's no magic to intuition. It's not right. some um, some thing that no one can decipher. It's an expert that has been able to automate and notice little things um, and and incorporate them into their system one response without having to think about it. So it seems like magic, but it's not really magic um, at all. Don't get me wrong. I love some good magic, but this would not be a case um, of, of that uh, occurring. So, um, so system two is challenging. It's riddled with mistakes, but system one can also be challenging in that it's rooted in emotional responses too. That's so right. there is a lot to, to unpack in this book and we are not going to do it justice at a drive time podcast, but we do want to hit on some things that we think are interesting that uh, again, the point of this podcast is not to, to give you everything in the book. It's to point you in a direction of something you might find interesting and at least give you one thing that you could use even if you don't read the book. So let's start with you, Melissa. What, what's okay. something you found interesting in this book? Well, my three thoughts. So I'll go through them really quickly. I'll rapid fire. So we are statistically punished for being nice and rewarded for being nasty. This is a point that he makes in his book. And it's that regression to the mean is, is what this context is, that things tend to fall to the average. And those extremes that happen on the outside of the average don't happen as often as the average happens. So there, there's an example he gives about an athlete. An athlete does very well at a, at a game. Um, and the, uh, the coach rewards him and it's almost, uh, he falls apart at the next game because he's almost punishing the coach for the, for the rewarding comments on the flip side of that. You have an athlete that did not play very well and the coach gets after him for, you know, doing what he didn't do or shouldn't have done or what have you bad play. And the player plays better at the next game. So it's almost, you get that, uh, the coach is rewarded for the, for the nasty behavior. Thought that was really interesting, that regression to the, to the mean. My second point is, he has this quote I liked, the easiest way to increase happiness is to control your use of time. And he suggests that people spend their time looking at how they, they decide how to allocate their, their time and activities. Activities that bring pleasure and fulfillment in the moment are worth pursuing even if they don't make exciting memories. And he's all about making sure that he's laying the foundation for context. Um, and I just, I found that really an interesting quote. And then the third thing, our brains can perform many tasks. And this kind of alludes to the, the comment, Mike, that you made about system two, being able to only think kind of one thing at a time. Um, but we are at risk be, uh, for manipulation with the law of least effort. The brain is lazy. It wants to do something simple, easy, quick. Um, doesn't want to think if it doesn't have to. Um, and so manipulation that happens overt, you know, not overtly typically, but through nudges, through small incremental changes, those things like social media, you think social media, you think the regular media, you think government politics. I mean, there's a lot of different ways that you could go with that. Um, but he cautions people that, you know, what you see, you think is all that there is. And there, it may not be. So disciplined thinking, making sure that we're teaching our students that if you want to wrap it toward um, education, making sure that we let our students know Try not to um, think that what is in front of you is all that there is um, because the brain tends to be lazy. 
Yeah. And I love that you bring that that concept up that, that Kahneman talks about, about the lazy brain. And, and uh, he's one of many that try to point that out. And it's not, um, we use the term lazy as an insult, right? Uh, but this is a very much as a, as a biological use of the term. Mm-hmm. And there's a reason for that. It's an energy conservation strategy by yep. the brain. Um, and thinking, and a lot of people don't realize this, but thinking requires physical energy. It requires it energy. And um, in particular, study uh, scientists are even studying what type of energy and certain types of sugars get used more um, during uh, heavy, complex tasks, etc. So mm-hmm. uh, it, it is always in our best interest as a species, um, at least as we were coming up to where we are now, to conserve energy, because the less energy you use, the less you'd have to go find and replace later. So um, so we're pretty just, yeah. And so what's interesting about Kahneman's work is we're predisposed to this. It's not a character uh, uh, issue. It's not somebody's not interested in doing a great job or whatever. It is what we're predisposed to do as a species um, and learning how to counteract that. And so because we have found ourselves in a world that certainly doesn't look like the savannas of Africa, where we're scrounging everything Mm. we can find to eat. Um, And so the context has changed. So those are really great things that you pointed out and um, love those. And I think that uh, uh, I have three that jumped out at me and I, you did a quote for one of yours and I, I just, I am so drawn to quotes. Um, I, I heard that you love a good quote. I love a good quote. Um, I'm particularly fond of my own. Uh, <laughs> no one else likes them, but I'm a big fan. No, I'm kidding. So the first one that I wanted to share is um, systemic errors are known as biases. And this is what I talked about earlier. Mm, yeah, that's and, Yeah, and they recur predictably in particular circumstances. When the handsome and confident speaker bounds onto the stage, for example, you can anticipate that the audience will judge his comments more favorably than he deserves. The availability of diagnostic label for this bias, the halo effect, makes it easier to anticipate, recognize, and understand. So for example, if you tune into a TED talk and they, like the like in this example, a person jumps up, looks the part, looks like an academic, looks like a, whatever it is you're trying to learn. If I'm trying to learn sports and the guy looks like an athlete, if I try, there is something called the halo effect and there is a name for it. And when you can name it, you can study it and identify it and refer to it. And that is called the halo effect where a person is given this halo on the topic um, because of a predetermined assumption that we make. Now, people in the audience might stop and think, well, I, you know, I can think of times when I don't do that. Uh, and in general, I'm sure there are. There, there are many times where we probably catch ourselves and go, now, wait a minute, um, especially if we've maybe been duped or something like that before. Um, but the reality is, to your point about regression to the mean, the reality is, is that the, the, the research is, is, is really piled up on the, the amount that this occurs. And over time, we're not going to remember the eight times we were duped or the six times we were influenced. And duped is too strong of a word. It's subtle influences that yes. can nudge behavior, right? So um, the, the, uh, the seven times that I might have been nudged and not even known it and attributed my decision to something else was actually rooted in the halo effect. But I'll remember maybe in a conversation after listening to these two, you know, smart Alex on a podcast. Oh yeah. Well, I remember the one time I didn't do that. Um, but we're, we're also wired to not recall those times where, where our predetermined thinking was, was not spot on. So I love that one. A second one is, yeah, I love this quote. He sub quotes. Is that a term sub quote? If a quote comes from, I'm quoting someone quoting someone as a sub quote. I like it. I'll, I'll okay. go with it. 
All right. Well, you heard it here first. A brand new word <laughs> debuted on M2. We'll know we're influencers if this turns up. In the next <laughs> right. right. So intuition is nothing more than memory. And this is what I learned. Uh, I, and he, this is from uh, Herbert Simon, who did work on chess masters um, and studied people that are, are master chess players. And to the regular world, they look like this is magic intuition. They have some mm -hmm. sort of intuitive sense about what's happening. But what the, the research on these chess masters had shown was that is intuition is a really fancy version of memory um, recalling circumstances and scenarios and uh, even if you've seen the, the drama on Netflix Queen's Gambit did you watch that by chance I haven't but I've oh. heard it's really good I know I need to I need to get on it yeah, you don't even have to be a chess fan at all. And it was fantastic. But they a lot of that show is built on on her going through experiences to learn and then bringing that back up in context. And so um, it's a good example of what he's talking about here. And then my third one is another quote, which is we can be this is my favorite one of the three. I know I say that all three times, probably, but <laughs> we can be blind to the obvious and we are also blind to our blindness. Right. And I love that idea that some things are completely obvious and um, we we are blind to it. And then we also don't realize that we're blind to the obvious. Mm -hmm. So it's a double blind, which is not the way we would think of it in research. Right. <laughs> uh, but it's a double blindness that is uh, particularly incapacitating. Right. It, it makes us not uh, automatically and in, 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 in just organically learn and grow and grow and learn. And, and he talks about the famous, and if you haven't seen it, go on YouTube and look up that. Of course, it's, it's going to be ruined because I'm telling you about it. But um, it's the uh, gorilla in the basketball video. Uh, where oh, yeah, that's uh, it a good one. yeah, and I won't tell you. I probably have already teased it enough, but check out the gorilla and basketball video. Follow the directions very carefully about counting the passes, and uh, and see what see what happens. And we'll reference it again in our next show. Um, but I love that, and so this really gets to the idea of our fallibility as people. Um, and you know, I believe that, and this is just this is an opinion, no by by no means the official stance of the M2 on education podcast. <laughs> but I think that if there were, you know, if there was a, a singular standard that if somebody said you can pick one standard for education, for me it would be I could be wrong. Under students will understand that they might be wrong throughout their lives. Um, because having that understanding that my first intuition or my first thought or my first response may potentially not be accurate um, is really important because that drives curiosity, it drives open-mindedness, it drives critical thinking. It all starts right there. Um, and the, the, the less fallible we think we are, the more prone to making mistakes we become. So um, a great quote I thought from, from Kahneman. So two reasons to read this book. So people's interests are peaked and they haven't read it. What are two reasons you think people should read this book? Well, my first is actually following up right on the quote that you did, because I found that quote to be very important as well. We don't know what we don't know. And so I think really one reason why you should read this book is you'll gain some insights into that intuitive thinking. Um, he discusses that limitation on human intuition throughout the book, and it shows why, especially in this modern world where we have a lot of information coming at us all the time from a variety of sources. Is it true? Is it fake news? Who said it? Why did they say it? Is there something else that should have been said? Um, and just making sure that you you have some foundational knowledge that he can provide in his writing about being a discerning um, uh, consumer of information and thought and go, what's going on around you, judging possibilities, finding trends in those um 
pieces of information. And he does say intuition is easy, but it can be limited. And so using that system to thinking that Mike referenced earlier can be a more effective way to go about making sure that you really have the facts down and that the way you're thinking about something um, is not limited in scope. So making sure that you read this book might make uh, those kinds of critical thinking efforts a little bit more dialed in. And then the second reason that I have for you to read this book in a couple of different chapters, Kahneman discusses planning. And I like this. He calls plans best case scenarios. I love that because, you know, as soon as the first shot's fired, the whole war game thing goes out the window. He uses his own life experiences. And, and as Mike said at the beginning, he's a very interesting man and has done a lot and has a lot of really good stories throughout the book. Um, but he really, he walks the reader through the importance of getting an outside view on whatever you're planning for, whatever that project or initiative is, and learning how to treat your project design really as a statistical effort rather than a one-off event. So those are two reasons I think you should read the book. And those are great ones. And uh, and I apologize for preempting your your. Uh, oh no! About it the just quote. It fit right in. It was it, good. Yeah, it re it it, uh, it really spoke to us there, and I think it's really the prime driver for reading the book. Yeah. But um, well, and for me, I think you know we talk a lot about critical thinking in in education. You should teach critical thinking. And parents, if you're not an educator, I wish I want my child to be a critical thinker. If only. I could raise a critical thinker. Well, what's, um, you know, I like to think you can't teach English uh, if you can't speak English. You can't teach engineering if you can't engineer. Uh, you can't, that is not right. Um, you can't do something that we're not have at least some level of proficiency in. And one of the problems, one of the hurdles to getting, you know, getting people to read a book like this, to be honest with you, is as everyone thinks it's the other person who's not the critical thinker. Right. I, I am a critical thinker. And if those people over there would just think critically, uh, we could solve this problem. And, um, and as long as that's the approach, we are not going to make any improvement. Um, and so we, when, when, and this book was written well before the, the current, you know, circumstance that we're talking about. And don't get me wrong. I realize that this has been to some degree of play for a long time because it's human nature, but uh, not at the level that it is at, at this particular moment in time. So it wasn't written um, as a, as a, as a response or even with that as the context. Uh, but it does, um, I find it always a great idea to, if you're not sure what to buy into, to go find people that are experts in the field and don't have connections to, um, you know, don't let the pundit tell you what the economist said. Don't let the pundit tell you what the psychologists are saying. Don't let the go hear what the psychologists and, and economists are actually saying and not the one that the pundit brought on their TV show or the five that they brought on their TV show, because I can five, find five people that'll, in any field that'll tell you anything. There's yeah. always there's always a percentage of people um, that are scientists or psychologists or whatever that believe something that will prove to be not even close to true. So um, going out and finding out what the what the propens the the uh, the larger body of people in that field think and what they're doing and Kahneman is fascinating because the work of the economy itself, the fundamental infrastructures of the economy and the predictions that businesses are making on human behavior are governed by some of this work that Kahneman has done. That has nothing to do with politics. It has nothing to do with fake news or real news or anything else. This is um, authentic 
true to the bone learning about the human brain that's being used by the business community. Um, and so it's just an opportunity, business and education community, an opportunity to um, to explore that. So I would um, I would recommend it as a step to learning so that you can be a proficient educator on critical thinking. And then second, um, it, it provides, and I, you've referenced this, so I'll just repeat it as a point of emphasis, and it just provides insight into the potential critical errors um, that we make, and especially under stress. Um, he spends a great yes. deal of time talking about how um, how our system two struggles uh, and system one both can struggle under stress. Um, and so that we have a very difficult time navigating between tasks when we're um, when we're under duress. And, and a lot of that's because of the emotion piece. Um, there's another great author, Jonathan Haidt, who uh, I talk about a great deal, who has a metaphor uh, related to this work about the elephant and the writer and that the uh, system one the the intuitive part of your brain is the elephant and the writer is the system to the reasonable logic self-determined and and what's really happening is the emotion of the of system one that you know driven by emotion driven by gut response driven by instant uh you know snap into place has already chosen your path long before you've thought through what you should do and then what the writer does is rationalize that path ra after the fact. And we don't pick up on that because it happens in such a quick succession that we don't pick up on that we're actually post-rationalizing our emotional response to something. Um, and so if you understand this, uh, it helps you to, um, you know, to navigate those potential errors. And it also helps you to, um, when you're dealing with others, especially if you're a teacher, in the classroom or a leader or a spouse um, to understand that, uh, you know, he talks about um, another bias called the attribution bias, mm -hmm. which is when when I do something, it's the outside world's issue. Uh, it's, I'm, I'm a victim of something that's going on while well, I was running late. That's why I did this or that, you know, there's always there's a yeah. reason, there's a context. But when someone else does it, then it's a it's an it's a personality Right? Yeah, they made a decision. So someone cuts me off in traffic. They're a bunch of words that I can't repeat on a family podcast. Um, but I can accidentally cut someone off in traffic. And I'm just, oh, gosh, I was running late. and I didn't mean to do it. But I'm certainly not that name, right? Like I wouldn't have gone, I wouldn't have beaten myself up the rest of the way to work going, oh, Mike, you're such a beep, 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 right? Um, but that's what the guy behind me is saying, right? Because I accidentally did that. So um, so just really, um, you know, learning to live by um, as much as to teach by and as much as to lead by. So, um, so what's point. one thing you can do now, Melissa, that from okay, this book? Okay, so another Good quote for you. Here's here's one from the book. This was in chapter five. If you yeah, if you care about being thought credible and intelligent, do not use complex language where simpler language will do. So what he's talking about is the application of a concept called cognitive ease. And you can read more about that in the book. Um, but basically, if something is easy to understand, it's more likely to be seen as the truth. And the speaker is more likely to be trusted and thought to be insightful. So if you can make it simple, it's keep it simple, folks. And you're more likely to be believed. That's a great one. And you know what else? Um, uh, this is a little bit of a hack, but learning from the Kahneman, I talked about how industry builds off of this work. Um, one of the other things that can influence, which does influence whether people find something credible is believe it or not, yes, uh, have your language simple, but if you put data of any kind 
a chart, a graph, it doesn't matter. It doesn't even have to tell the same story. They've done a lot of really interesting research on this, whether the data is even discernible to the reader. If you have simple language with data, it's automatically the words are perceived to be more likely to more be true people. because there are there's a there's a graph there. Yeah. Um, and so these are those little that's because what's happening there. System one is at play. I don't that's have to sit exactly and think right. about it. Oh, there's a graph. It must be right. Um, so there you go. Great one. Uh, mine is um, next time a decision seems obvious, give your system to us a chance to check in. Um, you know, sometimes when something seems obvious, um, that's great. But just just stop yourself and, and say to yourself, you know, wait a minute. Um, it's very possible that the, that the obvious answer is correct. But I also know from reading Daniel Kahneman's book or listening to M2 on education that my system one brain wants to chime in and make this decision and move me on to the next thing. Um, is it possible that I'm missing this? And especially if your if your obvious decision has a wide ranging impact. I mean, don't um, you know if you're trying to decide between stovetop stuffing and uh, you know who else makes <laughs> stuffing? Does anybody else make instant stuffing? I don't, I don't Marie even know. calendars, maybe. Okay, I don't know. Sure, sure. Yeah, one of those. I don't know why I went. My down grandma. The stuffing. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Why well, choose your grandmas? I'm sure. Um, if it comes down between those two, don't be paralyzed in the grocery store making a decision on stuffing. Going well. So System two, what do you think about this? That's fine to go with your intuition. Uh, but when you're making larger decisions, and especially in, if you're a school leader or a teacher, um, knowing that your decisions have uh, uh, quite an impact on a lot of other people, just just give yourself a second to let system two weigh in um, and, and have something to say about it. So um, so that brings us to the close of our discussion on uh, what a boring close. That was not like a great close on my part, was it? Like, it was that, great. That, no, that's, hey, like, that's like the student paper important. that says- It's it, the whole point of the book. Yeah, give yourself a chance to use your system two thinking. In conclude, no, I don't mean that part, but I the part where oh. I said, well, to close up the that concludes our yeah, well, I could do better than that. I'm going to work on a better close okay. for next week. I apologize, <laughs> such a rookie. Hey guys, you get what you pay for. I'm the lowest bidder when it comes to, you know, co podcaster. <laughs> so they said this, you spend all your money on Melissa, and then you get me on the other half. All right, so, uh, but we have, we do have uh, something really exciting. We want to preview our next episode, um, and the next so book. Tell that we're us about be that. Reading, yeah, I would love to. Is um, this book, and I'm going to try. Can you yeah, see it? Uh, back it up. Back it up. Back it up. Back it up. Uh, uh, no, put it in front. Uh, uh, okay. Well, if this isn't working, that's it. That's it. Because this is making for terrible radio. Sorry. Uh, so this, this book <laughs> Those is Those darn filters. Yeah. This is called uh, Making It uh, by Stephanie Malia Krauss. And it's what today's kids need for tomorrow's world. So this is a book about what do what do our learners of the future, what do our students and our kids and our you know, our own families, the young people in our lives, what do they need uh, to make them to potentially be successful uh, as they as they grow into participants in a modern economy, um, as they as as they're the people hosting podcasts probably sooner rather than later. What do they need? And uh, I'm really excited to announce that Stephanie uh, will be joining us as a guest uh, on our podcast to discuss this book. It's brand new; it just came out on Amazon. Um, even got a little 
push by Arnie Duncan on the back there. So, uh, so yeah, so um, so I'm excited. I, I haven't had a chance to crack the book just yet, but I am going to read it between now and our and our next uh, recording. So, all right. Well, that brings us to the close. Uh, if you didn't notice, if you're not following us on Facebook uh, or Twitter, uh, please feel free to, to like or follow us in those spaces. Um, we do post these podcasts as videos on our Facebook page first, um, and then they get distributed out uh, amongst a whole host of podcast platforms, including Spotify and Google. Um, we still have one minor snag on the Apple front, so stay tuned on that, but it, we will be coming to the iTunes podcast store near you. Um, but it, here's another little hack if you don't know it. Um, you can also just put on the video uh, on on Facebook or on YouTube or something and just plug it into your car and listen to it the same way uh, without even doing it as a official Very podcast. Very nice hack. Yeah, right? So um, so that's our, our, our episode number two. Can't wait to, to hear you, uh, not hear you, see you. No, we're not going to see you either, but you'll see us in episode three uh, of M2 on Education. Melissa, thanks for, uh, thanks for all your great insight, especially in the world of history today. And, hey, uh, yeah, it was fun. Thank you, Mike. And yeah. uh, listeners, if you have any questions, if you had feedback for us, make sure you reach out. We're happy to hear your thoughts on the book or on anything else that we've talked about today. So make sure you let us know what you're thinking. Yep. Take care, everyone. Thanks for listening.